Welcome to the Formidable Meat Podcast, where action is the cure, mindset is the magic sauce, and your life is what comes together in the wake of all that action and mindset. Today I'm talking to Woody Whitlock, yes, my dad, 89 and running marathons. What is it? What is going on? Let's find out. Enjoy. Dad, can you see me? Uh, can you see me? There's a bell. This is my papa, everybody, on the Formidable Meat Channel. Uh, Dad, we can just talk about anything, but you know, I... I Question. Uh, just over your left wrist and back of you on your bookshelf is a book entitled Endurance. Is, Ernest Shackleton. Is, that is Shackleton. Yeah. That's a great call. Oh. Okay, so what would you like to ask? Uh, let's start. Let me. Can we just start with uh, your running real quick? Because an easy topic to to start with. And over your right shoulder is there. You know, there's the picture of. Oh. I can't tell who the runner is. That up high over up high over my head. Yeah. That is the T-shirt that we were given, Kitty and I, on our very first marathon from the Deseret News Marathon. Oh no, kidding. 1958. No, 1988. 88, okay. I was 57, yeah. You were 57 when you ran your first marathon. Right. Man, that gives me hope. And it was so difficult and painful that I didn't <laughs> run again for 16 years. No kidding! My second marathon I ran at the age of 73. And since 73, which is now 30 years, uh, I've run 33 marathons. So that's an average of two a year, but actually I did one for the first few years and then three and then five and finally that year we did eight uh -huh. each month and uh -huh. then we did the get together in 16 uh at richmond when we all were there and now of course i'm holding out for one more full marathon in january at the age of 90 just to be able to tell myself that i did it <laughs> i was one of the handful of people that was able to run a full marathon at age 90. Just then I'll back down to just being content with half marathons. Mm -hmm. Why do you why do you run that? Why? Well, and there's my my motive has changed over the years. That's an interesting story. It changed. It started out the reason I ran a marathon the first time was because I was desperate to do something that I had total control over because I had just been fired for the second time and, and I didn't expect either one of them. So I felt helpless, kind of like, uh, what's his name, the Gump, Forrest Gump. Things were out of my control, so at least I could run. All I needed was a pair of shoes and a road, boom. And so I started running, built up to marathon with Kitty separately, you know, and then we met together and did it. Just throw in there, throw in there just a quick, I don't want to lose where you're at in your story. Tell me, can you give me just a thumbnail of that preparation? This is your first marathon. Yeah, first marathon, the preparation, we didn't know anything about training. Yeah. So the, the all, all we knew was if you're going to run 26 uncomfortably, you got to be able to at least run 20 miles comfortably. Okay. So we worked up to 20 and then we went for it. And the day morning of the marathon we all gathered for the bus ride a lineup of yellow buses to take us up to the start up uh, immigration canyon mm -hmm. and it's dark and it's cool 
and we're all excited and hyped up and we form, get in line and climb up on the bus. We take our seat, Kitty and I together. A guy sits down across the aisle from us, a little bit older, and he looks over and he says, have you done this before? No. And then with some hesitation, he said, is this your first marathon? Yeah. And then he said, you mean you chose this one for your first one? <laughs> we both want to get off the bus right <laughs> but there's no backing down and then we get on the bus and we ride and ride and it seems like we'll never get there knowing that we're going to have to run all the way back and then you wonder when are they ever going to reach finally we get there get out and of course it's very cold up there and the wind's blowing but uh, we huddle around had fires and try to keep warm and then we started in with the crowd making our way down and it's down and down and down and you're, you haven't been running downhill you've been running flat so your quads are beginning to say hey break time out no no break no time out keep going so you keep going down and finally you get down to the city where it's beginning to level level out and i'm looking for anything that will give me a chance to lift a curb is a welcome sight and you can feel your, your quads and your knees especially tightening up. So you want to stop. But if you stop, they tighten up more. So you're trapped. <laughs> and I'm going a little bit slower than I would have because Kitty was a little bit slower then. Mm. And, uh, and finally, I just said to Kitty towards the end, I've got to move on or I'm not going to finish. And so she said, go. And I was a little bit ahead of her. Not much. But we both finished okay. Then it wasn't a week or so after that. We were staying with Mark and Sherry up in Bountiful, and I went for a hike up into the mountains, and coming back down, it was that jarring, jarring, jarring with every down step, and something in my spine compressed or whatever, and I began to have pain. I had drop foot, which is a paralysis. One foot, you can't lift it up off the ground. I just thought, I have ruined myself. That's it. If marathoning does this, then it's obviously not for me. And so I quit. I went to orthopedics and chiropractor and everybody, no, nah, can't fix it. Or yeah, if you come every week for a month, a year, what, maybe, uh, no thanks. So I didn't do anything. And then over a period of months and months, but it did heal by itself. And so then one day, mom says, Betty says, oh, I'd like to go for a bike ride. So okay, let's go out. I got her bike out and then I got mine and it had a flat tire. So well, I'll just sort of jog along, slow and casual. Was this 17 years later or was this? No, no, this was, oh, let's see, gosh. Yeah, it probably was 10 or 15 years later. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so we, we've, we've left that first marathon way behind now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, because I figured that was over. You're done. I'm through. Is and so, okay. so I get out there and jog along, no problem. So I thought, well, we'll see where it is. So a little bit more, a little bit more. Next thing I'm signing up for the 2004 Deseret News again and uh, made it. It was still pitifully slow and I had IT band paying something awful. But oh. even so, I was forced to walk several miles, but even so I made it. So made the it. why, the, your, first, your first run was you just needed something to have control. I was, so, I was so desperate for control in my life when I got fired that second time so I was really looking for identity and, and validation and things. So I actually started dreaming seriously with a map, a big wall map plan, cross country run. 
from wow. the East Coast to the West Coast. Because I really dream, I've just got to do something that gives me a sense of identity and worth. Yeah. That nobody can take from me. Well, I never got as far as doing that in one stretch. But over the years, I've run across the country 10 or 15 times. <laughs> if you saw Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I did add up at one point, it was 10,000, but that was a long time ago. How, how has your, uh, your wife, it's changed, it's evolved over the years? Okay, well, first of all, let me talk about motivation, because I told you that has evolved. Right, that's, yeah. Yeah, all right. So then I did it because I could, and, and so I really had to force myself to prepare and train. It wasn't a thing that I really was uh, enthused about, but it was something I, I felt a need to do and I knew I could. Mm -hmm. So I did it for that reason. And so each marathon, I'd make it to the end and I'd probably say, well, well I don't know if I can do this again, or I'm not gonna do this again. But then- <laughs> Man, I've said that. you said that so many times. Every time. You know that. So, so that kept on going. But in the last five years, maybe, I'm to the place where, no, now this is a part of me. This is who I am. Uh, I am Woody who runs, among other things. But that's a, that's a key part of my identity. And I feel it. I enjoy it. I'm able to do it now so much that I don't hurt when I run. It's afterwards. The day after, I've got soreness and you know, recovery. But even that's OK. But it's not to the point where I'm suffering bad in the run. I'm not. And that, that's a great changeover for me because it allows me to really be glad I'm doing this. Is that something anybody can do? I, mean, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, tell me after you've run 34. Yeah. I know that you, you've always encouraged uh, us who have been following, trying to follow your leadership on that. If you're, if you're not enjoying it, slow down. Yeah. That type of a mantra, like... Well, and Jeff Galloway helped me a lot with that because, you know, his theme is walk, run, walk, run. It's not a, there's no sin in walking part of the marathon. Who right. says you're not a marathoner if you have to stop and walk? Right. If you finish, they give you a medal. So what do you care? Mm -hmm. And so he's got it all graduated out, different paces and all that kind of stuff. He's the one that convinced me after 60, you cut back to every other day running. Mm -hmm. Give your body a chance to recover. Yeah. There's no sin in that. And to slow down. Now, I know that if I run a full 60-second minute and then I walk 20 seconds, mm -hmm. I'm pretty well able to make it all the way to the finish line at that same pace. And to me, that's so much more better than being broken down in pain, getting way ahead and then not able to run anymore. Okay, now two questions come up from this. Your identity, you know, I, I am Woody and I'm a runner. I wanna know a little bit more about who else are you? And in I am a runner, has that affected other areas of your life and how so? Um, yes, you're right, both things. Uh, running, number one, has given me good health. Other men my age, many of them do not have good health. Uh, and weight, are you happy? Oh, 
Oh. I've never been as happy as I am. And it's steady. It's not up and down. So, so I'm going to ask you about depression and discouragement and, that's and right. this type of like, you say you're steadily happy, but there, right. there seems to be a cycle in my life. Of, you know, there, is, there, there is in mine. Yeah, there is a mine. But where I am now, well, one of the things, my three basic questions, let me get it to it this way. Uh, first question is, what do you want more than anything else, above all else? And do you know how to get it? That's a basic question. Mm. What do you want? You have to go through some sorting because there's a lot of things. Yeah, not many people can just answer that question when you ask that. You have to think carefully because it means above all else. Not if I don't get anything else, what is the one thing I've got to have? Second, and you know how to get it. How do you proceed towards it? Second thing is, what is your greatest fear? And do you know how to deal with it? And then the third thing is, what have you learned that you can really count on? Mm. Those three questions enable a person to, to think their way through where they're at and where they want to go and what they have to deal with and what they can use that they can rely on. Do those answers change from year to year or grow uh, with you? Or? Yeah, probably they do. Yeah, they get refined for yeah. sure. Though I have to say in my own case, when I look back, way back at the beginnings when I was, you know, know, my book, Learnings, when I go back at the start, when I was 20 years old and I joined the Navy, the threads that I started weaving at that point are still the major threads in the pattern of my life today. So there's something about the me that I've always been that has come through the storms of life, if you please, and the good times. Look at this. How about that? Here, David and I are just just talking away. Isn't that wonderful? Just talking. That's all getting recorded. <laughs> Marvelous. So we can share this with Angie or grandchildren and great grandchildren and great great grandchildren for posterity. Yeah, How are you doing health wise? I'm doing fantastic. Like Dad was saying, never better, and I'm. You know, and I've, I've, I've abused my system plenty in life. Um, and if I had a message of hope, it's that it, it's just never too late to kind of wake up and look at yourself and go, I can do better. And better feels good. And I'm not going to worry about where am I in comparison to my dad. Oh, no, no. Cause, but I know that I am better than I would be if I hadn't made changes. So I'm, I'm, I'm on a better place and I feel good. I, I wrote down the other day in my little book that it doesn't matter how many times you fall. What matters is that you get up one more time. Yeah, one more step. Even when you bonk, you hit the wall. Yeah. Just one more step. See, one of the paradoxical things about addictions is that you don't want them, but they're a problem because you do want them. <laughs> and you can't quit wanting them because you want them and the you that wants them has to get changed and you can't change you. So then how do you change? Gerald May says that's where grace is our only hope. But everybody's struggle is their own and it's different. Yeah. And so you can't say, well, I got to be like them. <laughs> says, Somebody said, who, who do you want to be like? I said, I don't want to be like anybody. I want to be me. <laughs> <laughs> and the good side of me. Like, I like that me. Well, 
And the reason that all of these problems, addictions or whatever, are so painful is because they're not what I want. And the I that wants them is the real me. The I needs to slow down and get quiet and start thinking about what it is that I want most, because that's what you're going to get. Okay. What you want most is what you will get. All right. I'm reminded of a story we read, a true story, in Bill Phillips' book, Body for Life. I don't know if you're familiar. Prior to the mission that we went on to El Salvador, uh -huh. we got into that program, devoured it, nutrition and exercise. Right. And in the opener to his book, he cites the case of a young man who back in the, when was it, back in the 80s or before AIDS was common, before AIDS had been much of a problem or even acknowledged, he, he was diagnosed with AIDS, with HIV. And so he was just devastated because suddenly he'd been given a death sentence and in his life, all his dreams and hope, ambitions, everything, curtain. And his fiance said, I can't handle this. And she dropped, went away. And then he recounts, uh, he started drinking beer just to deal with his emptiness and got put on weight. And then he saw an article in the paper about Bill Phillips and his program for muscle bodybuilding. Uh, but as more than that, as a, a way of gaining control in your life, basically. Yeah. And he said, and this was his testimony, he said, I decided, I knew my life was going to end sooner than I had planned, mm -hmm. but I decided between now and then, that moment, I would do whatever I could do so that when that moment comes, I'll feel glad about what I did with that time. So That's he started the end. So he started doing bodybuilding and stuff like that because that much he could do. Say that again? Well, he could do bodybuilding exercises just like I could do running. I'm going to do this now so that I feel good. When I come to the point of death, to the end of my life, and I look back, I like what I see. Well, my, like my running, I never dreamt of running a marathon at age 90. Never. I remember dreaming when I first started running. I still clearly remember a day I thought, if when I'm 60, I can run a good mile, I'll feel good. 60, I'll run a mile. I had wow. no idea what was coming. Wow. That's how it began. Yeah. If you'd known how big your running would be, would that have scared you away? <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. I'd say, no way. I'd say, no way. It's too hard to run a mile. Okay. So anyway, the four pillars. Now, and this has just come to me this year. There, I need to clarify in the remaining years that I have, the remaining strength and energy that I have, the limited time and money that I have, I've got to exercise good judgment in how I spend those things, the time, the money, the energy. What are the things that I want most? And so I, it was just clarified to me is what I say, that there's four things that you must have. Number one, most important is I've got to have a personal working relationship with Jesus. Him as a person, he has said many times, I am with you. That's, that is drastic. If that's true, the implications are awesome. But in any case, uh, I decided that I just can't get away from that. I can't shake it. I, I want to believe that's true. Okay, believing gives you what you hope for. Doubting and questioning doesn't give you anything. It leaves you empty. What you doubt kicks it out. 
because I've got the number one pillar in place. Mm -hmm. She's number two. And in fact, that's so important to him that she can interrupt me at any point doing anything if she needs it. She is number one, right after God. All right, oh, no. so that is number two. Number three is the temple, actually. Mm -hmm. Temple work and all that goes with that, uh, missionary work and church and... Now, you know, David, let me just put in here about number three. Uh, for me, <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't and, and get I anything say, out Betty, of it. There ain't nothing wrong with you. And I love you and the Lord loves you and it doesn't, doesn't matter about other people. Yeah. That's why Betty and I are closer now, as different as we are, we yeah. are closer now than we've ever been. How can that be when we are so different? The thing that matters so much to me, the temple, has nothing to do with us. Right. Nothing. And running the same way. She can't run. But we do these things to make ourselves happy so that you present yourself in your marriage, in your relationship, as a healthy person. And that yes. is, that's exactly what I've told myself many times in recent years. What is the best thing that you can leave or give to your children? It's to be a happy man. Even if I was struck down with paralysis and in bed, still, and you read cases like that, who are somehow able to keep positive. Yeah. And they're inspirational. But I always get inspiration and encouragement from the stories of people in the AA book, or those books. Yeah. Their stories. Because they, in their various paths, reach the crucial turning point where they are desperate. Right. They're, they're, they're near death and destruction. Yeah. And, and they get delivered. Usually somebody comes around that's been there before them yeah. and shows them how to focus to let God direct their lives instead of them. And they work it out. But their humility uh, is just beautiful. I'm always struck when I attend a meeting that this, the spirit of humbleness is there. We don't say anybody ought to be like us. And if it took that kind of pain, we're sorry for the pain we caused others. And we're sorry for the pain we caused ourselves. But if that's what it took to get us where we are now, I have to say it was worth it. Now, when I was seven, I learned to whistle. Can you whistle? You know what? I can't do it anymore. You want to be, for that child, you want them to know that you are the safest person for them to come to right. when they have failed. Right. And, and a key part of becoming that person is having fun together. All of these things that we've been talking about, all of them, that book, Learnings of Mind, Learnings. that was the progress in which I learned all this stuff. Yeah. Were the experiences in which I learned them and the people that taught them that I learned them from. Yeah. And so it's, it's a nice recapitulation of how I got to thinking the way I am now. Really what kind of fruit do you have there to eat now? I have apples and dragon fruit. Dragon fruit? We just got introduced to dragon fruit this, this week. week. I love you both. This we is, love being loved. And uh, let's do this again. Okay. Till next time. Love you. Let's do it again. Thank you so much. You call us. We're doing it. I'll call you. Give us a call while we're still here, Dave.